And, and do you feel that there's anything that supports that? We better start. Or are you well, I, I, was, I was talking about it as speculation, but it's, it makes sense in terms of the transmitter systems, the, the appearance and disappearance of particular, uh, particular receptors at particular times of life, and how that will change the behavior of the human being. Thank you. A lot more there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay, All right, gathering the tribe, right? Alright, so glad you came back from the break. It's a vote of confidence. We're going to be, maybe, experiencing rapture and joy pretty soon, so that's worth coming back for. Um, so, anybody care to share about that practice we just did, including, you know, toward the end of it, this possibility of feeling loved enough, broadly defined, feeling included enough, seen enough, uh, praised enough, respected enough, you know, be wonderful to wish for more, it's fine, but a kind of fundamental peace and even and freedom about love. Okay, so yeah, please. Hello, is that working? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, I found it um, very, uh, for lack of a better word, very empowering. Good. Very, um, much a relief of stress because that's something that I realized as we were doing it um, I have been feeling that uh, kind of a pressure of gee I just haven't been loved enough in my life I'm gonna have to find well, I guess I'll have to find one more boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> only one well at least one <laughs> there's at least 3,000 country and western songs right there <laughs> And just proposing that, which had uh, implications for a lot of other things, the very idea that I could have a practice in which I could uh, pr propose to myself, you know, I, I have had enough of, enough in a positive way. Um, I have had enough of this. I don't need to keep seeking this. It doesn't need to be a driving force in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can sit with this and contemplate this and... Yeah. Be be filled with this. That's and that great. Was just this new concept. Yeah. And I want to thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And and to be clear, I think some people have not been loved enough. Yes. And if that's and. But it, I but I had that feeling previously. Yeah. You know, gee, my mother really didn't love me, and my last husband left me. Yeah. And you know, boy, I really haven't been loved enough. Right. But until, yeah. but then when you proposed it, I, and I started looking at it, it was like, gee, I've been loved more than a lot of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's enough. That's right. I don't have to sit around and do a part of myself. Right. I think the art of it here, and you're getting at something that's actually really deep, and it's a deep practice theme, mm -hmm. which is there's a kind of paradox in that this is, in Buddhist practice, a practice about uh, getting to the end of the craving, 
that leads to suffering. The root of the word for craving in Pali, the language of early Buddhism, tanha, is the word. That word means thirst. And it really gets at that visceral quality of, to use a Western psychological term, drive. Yes. Okay? Drive. Which comes from a state of deficit. We don't have enough. So how do we come to the end of deficit-driven states? And there are multiple ways. I think part of it is to quit comparing, to quit saying, right. but they had more love from their mother than I did, and they had more love from their husband, and right. to be with myself. Yes. That's great. So not so, she's saying just come to the end of comparing, uh, come to the end of... Uh, Basically, to use the metaphor the Buddha often used of fire, because in the Hindu, if you will, time, uh, the Jain practices of his, uh, of the time in which he lived, um, they used a lot of metaphors of fire. So he talks about fueling. So fueling the fire of craving and desire by, for example, comparing ourselves to others who seem to have more and we wish we had that. So yes, yeah, so not putting those logs on the fire. So one way we can reduce the sense of internal deficit that is the, if you will, neurobiological, psychological driver of um, craving is through insight, is is realizing that all experiences are transient and as experiences are insubstantial, so attempting to hold on to them and reify them, staticify them is doomed and it's contracted and full of suffering in its own right. We can have insight into that. That's a lot right there, but that's a good little truffle to chew on, right, chukunk. But to me, it's really interesting is to respect the ways in which many people, me included, growing up, have been either shorted or wounded in one of our three fundamental needs, to avoid harms, approach rewards and attach to others. And those wounds, as Rick pointed out, become embedded in our brain. Mm -hmm. What do we do with that? And also, what do we do with the brain that evolved to constantly tell us this ongoing little trickle that basically says deficit? What does the root of the word want? It is lack, a deficit or a lack. So we've got a brain that's constantly whispering to us, there's a deficit of safety, a deficit of satisfaction, and a deficit of connection to motivate our hominid, primate, rat, and lizard ancestors to scratch and claw in order to survive and pass on their genes. What do we do with that? And to me, one of the interesting things to do is combined with insight and also combined with um, steadiness of mind and virtue, because then we don't cause so much new trouble, to 10,000 little times internalize the experience of having our needs basically met. To internalize the experience of safety 10,000 times over, I'm all right right now. To internalize again and again and again, there's a fullness here in this moment, I'm fed enough, I'm fulfilled enough, I've got enough goodies, enough good things are happening, to relax the grasping that's driven for more pleasant, more pleasant, more pleasant in terms of the approach and reward system. And also to, also to internalize 10,000 time, 10, times over the felt sense of enough connection, enough inclusion, enough belonging, enough being seen, enough liking, which un, undoes the 
fires of those different forms of craving. And so to me what's very paradoxical then is to open to the rewards that come from feeling safe enough and satisfied enough and connected enough in terms of our three needs, to open to those rewards and to be kind enough to ourselves to really take in the good, to take the extra dozen or two dozen seconds to savor and stay with the experience to help weave it into our brain. To do that in order to, over time, internalize those resources enough so that we no longer reach for them outside ourselves. So that our happiness is increasingly unconditional. It's not based on external conditions. Cultivation undoes craving. Through cultivating an internalized felt sense of being already safe, already satisfied, already connected, that's a real aid to the undoing of the internal causes of craving. And then landed on that ground, then we're much more easily transformed by insight. That's a great practice. And then every day gives us a handful, if not a couple dozen, a couple of handfuls, several handfuls of opportunities. One glance at a time, you know, one cupcake at a time, one breath of air at a time, one recognition of protection at a time, to feel that our deep needs are met and to release and relax the craving that leads to suffering, selfing, and harm. That's a pretty sweet practice, I think. Okay. All right. Maybe one more person. I'll try not to blather so much. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Am I on? I focused on my youngest grandson, who's three years old, and I feel very, very loved by this little fellow who doesn't have all these trips going through his head like we grown-ups have. And he is my mentor in so many ways. And as you were talking, I, yesterday I was on the couch reading to him and he's cuddled up to me and I have never felt so loved and I am so grateful for this young'un <laughs> who's giving me uh, joy and it reduces my need, oh my goodness, I've been alone for 15 years, I did it, did it, I can let go of that, and you know he loves me for something within me, not how I look or how old I am or how smart I am or whatever. Um, That's great. And I feel uh, just blessed. You know, the Buddha really emphasized the notion of refuge, and as you probably know, the traditional refuges, the three jewels, if you will, are Buddha Dharma Sangha, which you could understand as the teacher and the personal possibility of awakening in each of us the community of the teaching, uh, primarily the teaching itself, which really means the truth, and then the community of the taught. Okay? But in addition to those refuges, your grandson's a great refuge, obviously. Oh, he Tuolumne is. Meadows, in my He's mind, amazing. a refuge. He's amazing. <laughs> my buddy Rick here is a kind of refuge for me. You know, different yeah. refuges, yeah. And it's great our... to know our go-tos. Yeah, you don't necessarily know where it's going to come from, and then it That's right. descends on you. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank there, you. There's beautiful data showing that people who have that kind of connection live longer yeah, and live much more full lives. 
Well, maybe I'll see him grown up. <laughs> maybe see him grown up. Um, yeah, it, it, that, this is one of the one of the functions, probably for them as well as, as us, of pets. If you think about it, I, mean, I have a I have a golden doodle dog who's a sixty-five pound lap dog. <laughs> and but it's the only it's the only dog I've ever known. You put breakfast out, you put breakfast out in the morning. He'd rather be scratched for the next twenty minutes than eat breakfast. He's kind of cool. So it's it's the same thing, and 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 it. It results, and this is a whole other talk that we've given on other times, that kind of bonding results in oxytocin release. Yeah. And that oxytocin is, is the, essentially it's the knitting hormone that takes this entire room and knits it into Sangha. Uh, and I think that's, that's sort of the biology, if you will, under the community of the talk. That's great. Well... We're on our home stretch here, and I want to go to a roadmap from the Buddha that Rick will talk about that kind of ties this whole thing together. And um, one way to read the Dharma you want to skip this? is yeah. okay. is this, um, <clears throat> you know, it's sort of esoteric, ancient language. Another way to think of it is that this, these are like operating instructions from Coach Buddha. No disrespect, <laughs> no disrespect. Anyway... <laughs> And uh, not taken. I really mean no <laughs> But I really mean it. If you want to get good at something, study the people who are great at it. Well, the Buddha was great at happiness, right? So he lays it out. I'm like, okay, what do those words mean in plain English? So that's what Rick will talk about now. <laughs> okay. A roadmap from the Buddha. Um, these, this is the part uh, we're going to. You know, we'll be talking about joy, rapture, quiet, singleness. Um, this is a part, the part of our day long here, where we we really do kind of swing for the fences in terms of the jhana states. Um, when we when we initially got together, we thought about this, and this is part of the neurology of awakening that's been in the several pr- presentations that we've done. Um, and it's just what is, what is going on as you go into these incredible states of meditative absorption. Um, and so this is taking most of what we have done from the day and bringing it to the possibility that you can attain these states. Um, Christine Feldman said, what about concentration? These states of incredibly focused, absorbed concentration that can actually lead you into liberation. And the Buddha describes the process of going into the uh, concentration practice where the mind is steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. Steady, the attention is stable. Remember we talked about applied attention and sustained attention. Um, Quiet, the internal experience is that of tranquility. Very little verbal, very little emotional reactivity, nothing bubbling up from the limbic system and, or the reptilian brain from below. Single. There's integrative awareness, minimal thought, deep and nearly effortless engagement with the target of attention. To some extent, the compassion practice that Rick led you through before the break leads you to that concept of what it is to be single. To be love. To just literally drop all of the story about, you know, 
uh, having been loved, loving, am I loved, am I not loved, but just to be the state, the action of, the energy of love as it manifests in a human. Right there for you, I think, was the taste of what this idea of concentration practice is applied to compassion, but it can be applied to any one of a number of things. And concentrated. When the mind is concentrated, you enter into what in the Sanskrit were called the jhanas, uh, or related non-ordinary states of consciousness, with great absorption, often powerful feelings of rapture and bliss, happiness, contentment, and equanimity. You know, if you thought being loved enough was cool, wait till you get here. <laughs> so the jhana factors. Applied attention, again, bringing it to bear, applying the skate to the ice. Sustained attention, staying with the target, continuing to glide along uh, the, edge of, uh, the uh, edge of the skate for as long as you, as you can, staying with the breath for as long as you can. That's, uh, so applied attention, sustained attention. Rapture, this great interest in the target, bliss, um, for me, this is, as I said earlier this afternoon, this is dopamine. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> it's a, you know, um, in the, uh, the, the other uh, term for this is uh, sukha or sweetness, which is, the sukha is the word for sugar. The root through the uh, Indo-European languages comes into English as sugar. Joy, a happiness, contentment, a tranquility. A much more relaxed, much more spacious version of the similar kind of emotion. But just the sense of, ah. And singleness. The sort of unification of awareness, this lack of distractibility, this sort of pop into only one thing happening at a time. The ability to sustain the, your focus at your own volition Mind moment after mind moment after mind moment after mind moment. For all those, that somebody corrected me today, for all those little cursors, it's not the mouse, it's the cursor. For all those little cursors across the TV screen of your mind. But you're in the, sa you're in the same cursor. And you're not distracted, and you're able to stay focused. Um, one of the phrases that comes to mind here for this, in terms of exercising this, and the re and a, a real focus for concentration practice is that the, the mind is a great servant and a terrible master. So this is about bringing, bringing the horse into rain. This is about actually being able to skillfully use your mind to rest in the security that no matter what happens to you, you, you need not necessarily be buffeted or blown about by it. You still have the capacity to come back and be. And that's, that's, the, that's the purpose in concentration practice. That's the idea of being able to do that little trick in the medial frontal cortex of taking all the I-me mind circuits that are in front of and behind the anterior cingulate and making them drop away and be left with focused attention with all the lateral circuits being out there going, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening in this allocentric open space that Rick talked about earlier. That's that's the trick, and it's and it, and it's and it is attainable. I mean, the I, I think the the real major other take-home message I keep giving to people on these practices is that 
Meditation practice in Buddhism is not some doctrine. It, it, is, it is an observational scientific method, introspection uh, technology, if you will, that is just based on millions and millions of person days on the Zafu over you know, 2,500 years with observations reportage, discussion, was, that, was it like this for you, was it like this for you, what happened here, what happened there? And gradually, gradually, gradually in the monastic communities uh, in, in India and Sri Lanka and stuff like that, developing this incredible skill set, which is just literally based in science. It's, it's, in, it's based in an introspective science, it's reported in different kind of language than, than the whether or not you have a positive spin on your proton. Uh, or whether the Higgs boson exists or not, uh, you know, that, but, but it's, it's reported in the same kind of level of certainty in many of these experiences and replicability over time through multiple, multiple, multiple different human beings. So the path is there and it has been, it has been, it has been laid out. So what we were thinking of doing is a series of, we have about an hour left, and by the way, we have a request that Unless it's urgent, you stay here till five o'clock. Uh, otherwise, it's a little potentially distracting um, for people to get up and leave. Uh, and we will end within minutes of five o'clock itself. So to go back a little bit to this whole point here of this roadmap, we've spent a fair amount of time today with different factors of steadiness of mind. The first one, steadied internally, okay? And what Rick and I have done is not presume to have all the possible ways or all the possible methods to steady the mind, to steady attention, but we've kind of gone after, for us, the low-hanging fruit. We're opportunistic, shamelessly. You know, what has some decent science about it? What is juicy? What makes sense to us personally? What do we know about? Those are the ones we've gone after. So to be clear, there are many other ways, of course, to study the mind many other methods and traditions than what we're presenting here. So if we think about this as a roadmap, I use this myself quite often in my own practice, like at home in a regular meditation practice. Where am I, am, where am I in this process? I try to establish a basic steadiness over, let's say, a 45-minute meditation, then help my mind get quieter and quieter, and then help it stabilize in a quality of singleness, which itself is not an ordinary state of awareness, where, the sen where there's a sense of all experience, all aspects of experience being known at once together, moment by moment, as a single unified gestalt. In a sense, the spotlight of attention widens out to receive the whole field of what's happening in awareness, and it has this integrated quality of presence it's all here, moment after moment after moment. And in that, there can, I think, realistically be, especially uh, for, for many, many people, there can realistically also be a fairly strong sense of either uh, joy, the happiness, contentment, tranquility spectrum, the traditional word sukha, or sweetness, or there can even be, especially for some people who are inclined this way, these rushes of energy, which usually have an arising quality to them, almost an ecstatic rush of energy, uh, piti, that's the rapture or bliss 
jhana factor. And so the, to me, that's within range. It really helps if you've been on retreat recently or have some background. I think it also helps if you're a kind of person who can readily just um, genetically has the factors to readily enter into states of absorption or let's say rapture states. On the other hand, I think even if that's not your genetics, it's accessible to us all to follow this roadmap to steady the mind, gradually quiet, and come into singleness. Certainly, if not with rapture uh, and bliss, PT, certainly with joy on the spectrum running from happiness to contentment to tranquility. I think that's available to us. And then on the basis of that, deeply steady, deeply present, deeply quiet mind to see, to have liberating insight, to see truly the radical transience and interdependently arising and insubstantial nature of experience, taking one increasingly to disenchantment. We're less enchanted. We're less caught up by the spell. And we're less carried away by it. And we can abide peacefully with it. I think that's available to us. So we're going to try to explore that in the remainder of the day. Okay? This is not to have the jhanas themselves. We think that's an unrealistic aim. Um, uh, but to certainly have some sense of this, at least the first three bullets on those four bullet points, the concentration state is equivalent to the jhanas. But up to that point, I think that's very available to us. So you want to try it? Of course you're going to say yes. Because you're good people. Of course you're going to say yes. But, so we could try it. Besides, we locked the doors till 5 o'clock. That's right. So we thought we'd just explore this. Uh, as Rick said, swinging for the fences. Sometimes you strike out. Um, and I think what is available is a basic sense of sustained well-being presence. So if nothing else, finding a place of presence, kind of openness. As someone said to me, uh, using a monastic uh, uh, set of instructions, to soften, deepen, and widen wherever you are. That was very helpful that that person said that. Okay, so you want to try it? We're going to do a little practice here. We'll do it in sort of some steps because an hour of practice would just be too much for most people. All right? And if you want to stand at some point, if you start to feel a little sleepy, it's okay to do that. Here we go. So coming into a sense of being here, as usual. Establishing an intention, and you might like to bring in a kind of willingness, if it would help you, to let yourself be changed, to let new things arise. to let your mind soften and deepen and widen out into states of mind that may not be so familiar.
locating that middle place, that sweet spot where you're not attached to any particular result, you're not driven around anything, while at the same time inclining the mind and encouraging helpful factors uh, in your psyche to arise. You're being a friend to yourself without being a boss to yourself. So we'll begin by establishing some steadiness of mind and, in effect, doing some initial concentration push-ups. So see if you can stay present from beginning to end with 10 breaths in a row. And if you lose track, it's okay, just start over. And around, and then if you get to 10, start over with your second 10. So I'll be quiet for a minute or so. Being aware of your mind tugging at you, pulling you away from the object of concentration, the breath. And being aware of what it's like to disengage from the mind's tugs and pulls and pushes, renouncing them for the minutes of this practice and devoting yourself and fully entering into the sensations of breathing. Usually at one location in your body, unless it's really helping you to be aware of the breath in more than one spot. Again, kind of reestablishing concentration, 
following from beginning to end another 10 breaths in a row. The breath naturally slowing, the body relaxing. Receiving the breath. Perhaps beginning to experience some warmth for the breath. The beautiful breath. Or experiencing some lovingness as your nature, while at the same time giving yourself over more and more to the sensations of breathing.
I'll be quiet again for a couple minutes, seeing if you can stay with each breath from beginning to end. And if it's at all helpful, finding a quality of warm-heartedness or lovingness woven into the experience of breathing. Perhaps a sense of breathing love or love breathing you. You can count the breaths if you like or not as you wish. Staying with breathing, if you like, still infused with warm-heartedness and encouraging a growing quieting of the mind, disengaging from inner, th inner language, sustaining attention with breathing warmly breathing. The sensations of breathing filling the mind. And 
not struggling with any inner noise, simply letting it go. Staying with breathing and letting the mind grow quieter and quieter.
in the quiet. See if you can find some sense of tranquility, perhaps already present, or you could be a little more aware of it. It has a positive emotional tone. Tranquility like a mountain pond, perfectly still. Your mind like that pond, peaceful, quiet, tranquil. If you like, tranquility can become your object of attention. And you can cultivate or become increasingly absorbed in tranquility. And then bringing in a little more energized sense of well-being, exploring the sense of contentment. Where there's a quality of happiness or well-being, along with no wish for this moment to be anything other than what it is. Contentment is happier than tranquility. There's a more positive emotion in it. It's a little less quiet. Still a very appropriate object of attention. And if you like, see if you can let contentment pervade your mind so that you become increasingly absorbed in contentment.
enjoy contentment. You can encourage contentment, if you like, with a sense of gratitude or a sense of the fullness, the enoughness of this moment or with a sense of gladness. you arrive there, you're giving your mind over to contentment and letting it land inside you. Be aware that there is no craving in contentment. There's no need for aversion or grasping or clinging. It's a taste of freedom, contentment, well-being with no wish that this moment be anything other than what it is.
help yourself find a contented mind. Then we'll go one step more into being energized on the basis of a fundamental contentment. See if you can find some sense of happiness. Perhaps thinking of something that gives you a little spike or jolt of happiness. Perhaps a grandchild or a location or being happy that you can be contented, perhaps being happy that you can practice, and letting a more energized quality of happiness start filling your mind, pervading it. So if it's helpful to you, happiness itself can become your new object of attention and absorption. Deliberately exploring, increasing the energy of happiness as we start moving toward bliss or rapture. Maybe take a more rapid inhalation. Maybe think of things that make you feel happy. Letting yourself be happy.
even if alongside it is fear or sorrow. Staying with the experience of happiness, not getting lost in story around it or efforts to create it. Letting yourself be happy here and now. as an experiment, seeing if you can kindle some arousing sense of energy moving through your body, what the Buddha called bliss or rapture. If you can't, it's okay, but see if you can, maybe inhaling a little more vigorously, maybe almost pumping in your belly a little bit, giving yourself over to a bodily sense, a quickening, if you can, of, of a wave of bliss or pleasure in the body or rapture. Just experimenting with this for a few minutes. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come, but seeing if you can almost pump your body, quicken or aid waves of pleasure, kind of bliss in the body.
And then whatever bliss or energy or pleasure, rapture has happened, letting those waves recede. And simply letting be in their wake a sense of being present here, peaceful, present, as the whole body the sense of the whole body known at once in awareness. Perhaps a pleasurized or happy body or simply a peaceful, tranquil one. sensations of the body appearing together in awareness as a unified whole. The body as a whole. Expanding further to include sounds, thoughts, desires, all known together at once in each moment as a unified whole, coming into singleness, a unification of consciousness. There might be a kind of kathunk, kawush, of all experience coming together, present as the whole of experiencing.
surrendering into being the whole, single and unified.
as we near the end of this, sensing that the fruits of your practice are sinking into you. You are registering them. Taking a moment to sense them sinking into you and then eventually imagining them sinking into you and through you and then rippling out in ways known and unknown, seen and unseen, to benefit other beings. Well, we don't want to get all heady after a practice like that. And um, we'll end in 15 minutes, so if you can stay till we end in 15 minutes, that'd be great. Uh, internally, as I was going through that with you, um, I found myself feeling very respectful of you, uh, bows to you. That was 45 minutes, uh, pretty real you know, contemplative effort. And I, midway through it, I thought, what have we gotten into? <laughs> but if you're in it, the only way out is through, right? So we followed, if you can track, we, we did the steadiness, we got into quiet. Then I worked our way backwards through the uh, joy, happiness stuff by starting with tranquility, because that's closer to quiet, then contentment, then happiness then rapture, then steadiness. So that was how it happened. And you might explore that way of doing it yourself. And it's okay to vary 
how you do these things on your own. Anybody have a comment or question maybe? Yeah, please. David, right there. Can you see her? Thanks. Throughout the whole day, you both have made references to riffs. And um, <laughs> of course, I immediately thought of jazz and the spontaneity and beauty that jazz brings forth moment by moment. And I wanted to know if you could quantify this experience for me. I was um, performing with a jazz group in a club, and there weren't very many people. It was about the last set, and we had done um, a standard, something like um, This Can't Be Love. And we were doing good, and we were humming, and we were good. And <laughs> literally, out of nowhere, we began to accelerate, and we all, at the same time, and in the same key, started a love supreme out of nowhere. And we were all blown away, but we kept going with it, and we improvised for almost 35 minutes. And I've never had an experience like that in music since. But I don't know how to quantify it in your terms. I'm so glad to leave it as a mystery. <laughs> Rick's a musician more than I am. He might have a comment. And I'm a, there are times like that, aren't there? Yes. Where it's just the magic of it. You see it with physical performance. You, sometimes you'll see it people doing like mathematics together. So it's across domains, you know. A theater, this moment comes together. Uh, jugglers will get into this thing. You know, myself, uh, I'm reminded of Ida. I did a dream therapy for a while with this Jungian character, and he said, and he was a character, and he said, uh, he said, ultimately a dream is like a work of art. It transcends interpretation. So I guess I want to kind of stay, I'll take refuge <laughs> in noble silence. I don't know, Rick might have another thing to say. But how beautiful that you could experience that and then share it with the rest of us as a human possibility. Two things come to mind. The first is the, the, the group as a sangha. Um, and music, a nonverbal way of, uh, I mean, the lyrics are fixed. You're supposed to sing the lyrics in, the, in mantra fashion. Uh, and then the other thing is what sort of what the thing that what Rick was alluding to was flow. That concept of being in the zone, being in the flow, and of attunement. In the this is a whole other subject, and I don't want to get into too much of it because I'll get too heady. Uh, there there are things called mirror neuron systems in humans which are neurons that 
neuronal systems that activate when I see the emotion in you and they participate in that similar emotion in me when I exhibit it. You know, that's part of how I read your, your state is this mirror neurons. We don't necessarily have uh, specific mirror neurons in humans, but we certainly probably have circuits that do that. Um, and that's, that's, that was tested and looked at in the visual system. But here you have an example of that in the auditory system. Same kind of, same kind of flow, same kind of attunement, same kind of reading of where everybody was going. And so, you know, Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls take another ring, I can <laughs> tell you. I have kind of a comment on that, maybe moving toward the end here. And, and again, intuitively, it just seems, while Rick and I will stick around quite happily, uh, my feeling somehow is to almost honor the inner quiet and uh, not stir up the waters too much. Um, to work with that that you said there, I think very often what happens with individuals is you can have internal states of resonance in a brain, like with creativity, say, or a moment of, of shifting. Like if you felt any sort of state changes through that 45-minute practice, like a kathunk or an open or a something, um, there's internal resonance. Well, there's also resonance between and among different brains, through mirroring processes, through other forms of emotional resonance, who knows, through perhaps energies that science doesn't yet understand, or maybe even through energies that science will never understand. Um, and to go to the last bit here, of feeling the benefits or fruits of your own practice sinking in, mm -hmm. and also sinking through and out to ripple out to other beings and to offer the benefit to others. So, two parts there. First part is I think it's so important, and I think this is very consistent with what the Buddha taught, never underestimate the power of your own practice for yourself. Never underestimate the slow accumulation, one synapse at a time, one minute at a time, of changes in oneself. As they say in Tibet, if you take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And also, do not underestimate, this has been very important for me personally, especially in our troubled world, to not underestimate the power rippling through any single individual who has a moment of wholeheartedness, a moment of good intent, a moment of restraint, a moment of insight and wisdom, a moment of steadiness of mind, that rippling out through each one of us, out into the wider world, in ways known and unknown, as the Buddha put it, seen and unseen, the great and the small, um, uh, omitting none. Uh, may all beings be truly happy. So with that as a fundamental wish, certainly dedicating the, the fruits of our own practice for our own welfare and those of others. Also very much thanking our volunteers who I hope will stand up for a moment of recognition. Thank you, volunteers. Thanking Sean, who, as usual, is a wonderful mission control. And blessings and bows to all of you. Thank you. Safe and it's journey. a wrap, five minutes early. <laughs> I just
was profoundly impacted by what you did today, and I just want to say thank you. You're welcome. Just, I don't know what to say. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That's great. I'll take that with me. I was drawn to come, and, uh, and I know why. It's okay. Thank you. Safe journey.